What a beautiful sanctuary we gather in today. And perhaps if you're new to HRBC, or maybe it's been a little while since you reflected on the church's history, this is the 30th anniversary of our sanctuary having been constructed and dedicated. So back in 1986, we worshiped in this space for the very first time. And so we celebrate God's activity and work among us over the years, and we're very thankful that we have such a beautiful place to gather as God's people to worship together. So thank you, church, for all that you have done over the years to give that we might have such a wonderful campus to worship in and share God's love. By the way, if you do smell just a tad bit of sawdust smell, uh, there's no extra fee for that today. Um, we are, you know, with all the uh, construction of the new stage for next week's musical, uh, that, um, there's a little bit of that in, in us, uh, our air this morning. And it just reminds us of what it may have been like at the manger, thinking about the shavings there for the animals in a common stable. So perhaps the, that little bit of sawdust smell in our room today would remind us of that space where our Savior was born. Today's text is from John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. It's where Jesus shared his very first I am statement. I am the bread of life. Hear God's word this morning. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and will raise them up at the last day. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You've heard in the text, as I read, that it is God's will for every person to come to believe in Christ. There is room at the manger for everyone who comes. That's our key thought for this morning. There's room for everyone who comes. Jesus came that all might come to him. But have you ever stopped to think how scandalous it was for the Messiah, the long-expected king, the king of kings, as we understand him, to have come as he did, poor, unlikely, humble, low? Have you ever thought of what a scandal that was at the time? The Messiah should have, it was thought, been born to royalty in the loftiest of places and with the best of the best. Rather, he came to earth born of the lowly and of the least in a stable 
along the backside of a first-century roadside hotel. He came just as he had promised. Charles Spurgeon, that great English Baptist preacher, said, We might tremble to approach a throne, but we cannot fear to approach a manger. Accept him as your Savior, for he puts himself into that manger that you may approach him. The throne of Solomon might the throne of Solomon might awe you, says Spurgeon, but the manger of the son of David must invite you. Perhaps God came as a lowly child in the basement of that manger behind the first century hotel so that people would have the best chance to see and experience God. Often we are caught looking for the grand and the miraculous where we might experience God, and we may miss God in the most unlikely and common of places. He was no Caesar born to conquer and terrify. This was the people's Savior, King of the poor and of the simple. Jesus, Jesus would never deviate from that vision of the divine. Remember, Jesus later told his disciples that they would be homeless as they followed him. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then remember, Jesus also told them, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Humble, common, lowly, the unexpected, the scandalous of the day. Our text today is sort of a fast forward to the life and ministry of Jesus. John 3.16, which you heard read earlier, is a fast forward in the life and ministry of Jesus as he talked to Nicodemus. Today we're seeing how Jesus continued to point people to follow God in his way. And our text reminds us of how he said, I am the bread of life, tying back to the time where people who Remember the old stories from the Hebrews that bread came from heaven. Then Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am here and I will give you bread that lasts, that lasts forever. The context of our passage today is, starts, out, starts with the feeding of the 5,000. You remember that miraculous story where Jesus had seen the people and it was the end of the day. And they were hungry. His disciples said, we need to let them go so that they can get something to eat. And Jesus said, no, you will feed them. And then they gathered the people together and they ordered them. And then Jesus took the young boys' sacked food of bread and fishes and blessed it and broke it and handed it out to his disciples. And there was enough food for everyone to eat. But after that, John chapter 6, after that miracle, which is in all four of the Gospels, Jesus withdrew by himself. Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6 tell us that. And then you re recall that the disciples were sent out on the boat and that Jesus appeared to them walking on water. Well, the, the crowds continued the next day to try to find Jesus and they followed him to Capernaum where he had gone. And they're still asking him questions and they're wanting him this miracle worker. And Jesus, even in that moment, tries to point them to God. 
And many of the people who heard his teachings struggled with letting go of this literal understanding of bread from heaven. Even some of his disciples struggled and didn't understand. In fact, in the latter part of John's chapter 6, some of the disciples actually left. They couldn't make the commitment to, to follow him, this one who had this radical way of following God. Yet Jesus still proclaimed that all it took was simple faith to follow him. John chapter 6 tells us that in a number of places. I want you to look back at your Bibles and start with me at chapter 6, verse 29. I've got the old NIV translation. The one on the screen is the more recent version, but the words are very close. In verse 29, Jesus says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. Simply, our work is to believe in Christ. And then in verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then in verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And then in verse 40, Jesus said, For it is my Father's will. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Echoing those words in John chapter 3, verse 16 and following. We simply say today that that message has not changed. That everyone who believes in Christ Jesus will be with God forever in eternity. It's a simple message. Sometimes we have trouble making sense of this wonderful God who would forgive us, though we continue to be people who stray outside of the boundaries that He's given us, that yet He loved us so much that He gave His one and only Son, the one who is the bread of life, the one who gives us eternal life. Today we say that there is room at the manger for us. Even when our hearts are preoccupied with all of the things in this world that distract us, there is room at the manger. There's room for those of us who don't understand fully. Simply God invites us to the manger to come and see. All who receive His Word, His message, His forgiveness, His grace, all who make Him the Lord of our lives will believe and live forever. There is room at the manger. Even though there was no room at the inn, In this first century hotel, there was room in the manger for the Christ child. If you think about Christ being born behind a first century hotel, it might make sense today the significance of the way Jesus came. One writer has a chapter in his book that relates to this. And he helps us to think about hotels today and the significance of that event of Jesus being born in the manger behind that inn, that Christmas came to a world where there was business. A a hotel was a place of business where people came when they were uh, in town 
for whatever that reason was. But there was commerce happening. So Christ was born in a manger behind a place where there was commerce happening. And then the author says that hotels are places filled with the ordinary and the routine. People come and stay in a hotel when they're on vacation or visiting family or just traveling on business. It's the ordinary and the routine. But hotels are also places where people often in our world go to be in the darkness or to kind of be away so that that other people might not see their activity. Maybe they go there to hide. You can imagine that on that night with the busyness in Bethlehem that perhaps there were people who were trying to hide away there at that little inn and there Christ was born behind it in the middle of all that was going on. Hotels can also be lonely for a lot of people. How many of you have traveled in a hotel on Christmas Day. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a hotel. Some of you have. Or right around the the Christmas Day, maybe the day before, the day after. Sometimes that hotel can be a very lonely place. Maybe there's an artificial tree set up and the decorations are so-so and the staff is uh, not fully there because a lot of them are off work. And it's just kind of a lonely place. And so we can see how Christ came in the middle of commerce and the ordinary and the routine. And even where people trying to hide or when there is loneliness. Often hotels are also filled with people who are all about their own thing. Each person's there doing their own thing. And people in hotels are often far from home. And there is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, born in the middle of all that. God who leaves His heavenly home and comes as a baby boy in Christ Jesus to give us a heavenly home. That everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. Remembering those words from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall have everlasting life. So today I, I invite you to ponder some questions. To think about the message of the Gospel. Because the Christmas story is really about the message of the Gospel. We can't separate that from the event that happened in Bethlehem so many years ago. The first question is simply this. Will you give God a chance? Will you give God a chance? Even if you don't understand the Bible, will you give God a chance? Even if you've been raised in the church and still have some questions, will you give God a chance? Maybe you've been away from the church for a long time and you've come back to experience God this Christmas season Will you give God a chance? Will you at least give God a chance? If you're trying to figure things out, will you at least give God a chance? If your life is confused right now, will you at least give God a chance to help you get back on the road to recovery? If your marriage is struggling, will you at least give God a chance? If you're trying to figure out things 
in your work life, we at least give God a chance. If you are one who questions why we are here and all of the things around us and don't fully understand or comprehend it, will you at least give God a chance? This past week on Thursday, America lost a great patriot and icon in John Glenn, the first man to have orbited the earth. He made a lasting mark on this world and will be sorely missed. His life was an example of how to live life to the full. He lived on the edge sometimes in testing aircraft. And of course, going to space is really living life on the edge. In fact, at age 90, I mean, at age 77, back in 1998, he was able to go to space a second time on the space shuttle Discovery. And while he was up in that shuttle, he looked at all that, it, that he could see in space, and he said this, to look at this kind of creation out here and not believe in God, to me, is impossible. He was able to see some things that we can't see, or we could not see or ever see, but helped us to experience the majesty of God's creation from his perspective. So even if we are people who doubt or have questions, maybe this great American patriot would help us to at least give God a chance. He was a man of faith. Could we at least give God a chance like he did? The second question for us to ponder is, will we make room for God? If we give God a chance, then will we make room for God in our hearts? The author I quoted, who helped us to understand the significance of the first century hotel, says this, I understand the innkeeper. I've learned that so many of us shut God out of our lives, not because we're hostile to him, but simply because we're filled up with other things. Will we make room for God? There's room at the manger for us. Will we make room in our hearts for God? There are some spiritual practices that I'd like to share with each of us that might be a help. They're very simple, but I believe that they're life-changing. Simple. You write it down if you want to. To make room for God in our hearts, will we be willing to read the Bible for five minutes each day? You pick up the Bible and read it just for five minutes. Will you be willing to pray once a day? Even if it's just for a few minutes. Pick up a Bible and, and read it. Maybe starting in the Gospel of John or the Gospels or the book of Philippians. But just read it for five minutes. Pray once a day, even for a few minutes. Go to church every Sunday and connect with a Bible study, right? Read the Bible, pray even if it's just a sentence or a few minutes. Worship regularly. And connect with a Bible study on Sunday morning. We've got lots of them. Or Wednesday evening or another time during the week. There are several. 
These very basic spiritual practices are ways that God speaks to us. And when we engage in them, we are opening our hearts up for the work of God in our lives. I I submit that if you and I were to do this for 30 days, for 30 days, read the Bible five minutes a day, pray each day, worship regularly, small group Bible study, 30 days, your life will be transformed. I believe that. I believe it wholeheartedly. I've given my life to it. And that we would begin seeing change in our family, change in our marriage, change in the workplace, change in our attitude, change in the way that we see other people, change in the way that we live in this world from some of those very basic spiritual practices because we have given God a chance and we've said, I'm going to make room in my heart for you, God. You made room for me, the manger. You invited me to the manger. In fact, when you try to type manger, when I was working on the sermon, spell check wants to make it manager. Manager. And how often do I want to manage my spiritual life? Do I want to take control of everything, of my own marriage and my family and my work and all of the things? Do I want to manage that? And God says, Bob, come to the manger. Don't try to manage your life. Let me take control You come to the manger because there's room for you there. And we make room for God in our hearts. And the last question that I have for us today is, will we do an ego check? Will each of us be willing to do an ego check? The ego is sort of a way to describe our being, our self. You might have heard it said, you know, That person has a big ego. They can't get through the door because their head has swelled up so big. Often a person with a big ego wants to be the center of the attention. Much of their conversation or ours, because I get like this, is me, myself, and I. Not about anybody else, but all about me, myself, and I. Ken Blanchard in his book, Lead Like Jesus, calls this the I factor. And in his book, he says that we should do an ego check to ask if we are in alignment with God and if we're dependent on God or if we are the center of everything. And he says that we can either, looking at the acronym EGO, E-G-O, that we can either edge God out, push God away, not be aligned with God, not make room in our hearts for God. We can edge God out, or we can look at ego as exalt God only, that we make room in our hearts for God, make God the center of our lives, that everything would would revolve around the will of God for our lives. So each of us today, as we consider the Christmas story coming to the manger where there is room for us, that we would do an ego check. Come to the manger. There is room for you. There is room for me. Will you make room in your heart today for God? Would you join me as we pray? In the stillness, 
in the quiet. How would you respond to the work of God right now in your life? Will you give God a chance? Will you make room in your heart for God today? Can you pray simply this? Today, God, I make room for you. There is room in my heart for you. God desperately wants to be involved in your life. God desperately wants you to yield your life to him and that you could experience the the hope and the love and the joy and the peace that only can come through what Jesus Christ can offer. I pray today, God, that each one of us will come to you in our own way, in our own place in life, situation in life. And I pray that each of us will say, God, there is room. Forgive us for where we've edged you out, pushed you away. Fill our hearts with your peace today that we might have the joy in the morning, tomorrow. Through Christ we pray. Amen.